Hello and welcome to the Past and Present podcast. Join me and my co-host Rosie as we journey through history one story at a time. Rosie, how are you? I'm good. I mean, tired, but good. How are you? Exactly the same, to be fair. Very, very stressful few weeks, but uh, yeah, finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, yeah, not too bad. So today we are talking all about uh, Tudor feasts, Henry VIII's waistline and the field of the cloth of gold. Uh, perhaps the fanciest party in history, but for me, far too many vis and ofs. Um, so yeah, a bit of a bit of a confusing title, but uh, something that we'll definitely get into later. I guess we've pretty much started this whole season with um, what it's like for regular people. So in general, what was food like for regular people during the Tudor period? So at this time, I would say that the gap between kind of rich and poor was really becoming quite evident the kind of food quality or food inequality um, was becoming much larger than we'd seen before um, for kind of a number of factors Um, you know like we mentioned in the previous episode kind of hunting rules um, those were still kind of in place but obviously there was better things that they were going after because you know who doesn't want to eat a beaver (laughs) or an ox I mean that sounded really wrong but (laughs) I you know um we'll go with we'll go with it um but yeah basically they were hunting more I guess I mean maybe not more but the kind of venison and stuff like that was seen as like really really great by the rich so I think it was kind of taking away from what the poor could you know actually get so a lot of kind of peasants did have access to small plots of land like they would have previously and maybe they would have had chickens or pigs but apart from that they probably didn't have any other animals and like we said before like smoked bacon was really popular because it could be preserved uh, for a longer time because of the dry and salt and um, all of that. Um, So that was kind of um, the same. Um, So obviously meat was eaten, um, but on a Friday, I don't know if this was in the medieval one, but we didn't mention it, but on a Friday, eating meat was forbidden. Um, so they actually everyone had to um, eat fish and during Lent which is around Easter time um, the kind of 40 days um, to reflect Jesus's 40 days in the desert um, they weren't allowed to eat meat at all either so they relied on fish um, quite heavily I mean every Friday is quite a long a lot of fish um, especially if you don't live near a river um obviously those who lived near the rivers and the lakes um and the sea ate a lot more fish um a lot more fresh fish I think what by the time of you maybe if you were in the city and you were eating fish it could potentially be dried or just not great (laughs) um so that is like something that I found really interesting because actually a lot of uh Christians even today don't eat meat on Fridays and during Lent they will give up something I don't necessarily think that 
everyone sticks to the no meat during Lent, but I'm sure that there's some denominations of Christianity that still follow these rules. And I don't know if this came in because of Henry VIII changing to being Protestant or whether this was a major thing that every country in the world did. Yeah, it's good. It's a good point, actually. I think it does go a little bit further back than than Big Henna's time, um, because I know that during the medieval period, the, um, the church tried to make different animals into fish. So things like beavers that you've already mentioned, they were considered fish, so they could be eaten during Lent. So I know it's a thing that's happened for quite a while, but I also know that they've always tried to get out of it. Um, my my grandmother who um was we weren't a religious family but she was a methodist and she up until um until she passed away like she never ate meat on a friday um she ate fish every friday which was something as a kid i thought was quite strange but now we're talking about it i guess i guess it makes sense um so yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a good a good point so what i got from that is that very very similar diets to how it had been you know for the last few hundred years um and i'm assuming bread was still featuring on everybody's tables constantly um because well it still is today so i don't i don't believe we would have had a 200 year break um from bread uh, what about the the richer people what what were they eating yeah so obviously as you said bread definitely was still a thing um so it was probably eaten at most meals and wealthier kind of like we were saying before the wealthier Tudors would be eating um the whiter bread <laughs> as we said that's the that's the rich man's bread um and the darker bread which sometimes they would make out of uh kind of rye wheat and maybe like ground acorns which sounds gross um but apparently for the richer people the I can't say that aristocratic I can't even say that word households ate manchette uh which is a type of bread um which they would have a lot during banquets as well but that would be like their kind of fancy bread that they would um eat obviously um kind of like fruit and vegetables famously Henry VIII was known not for eating vegetables um it was thought the more fruit and veg on your plate, kind of the less rich you were. Um, so most of Henry VIII, for example,'s meals would have consisted of pretty much just meat and probably bread. Um, it wouldn't have been anything else like, oh, let's have some broccoli with that or <laughs> anything. Um, you can see how he got so fat. Um, but yeah, and kind of during the end of Elizabeth I's reign, um, obviously with the kind of exploration of the world, um, a lot more new fruit and vegetables were being brought over. Um, and also, you know, our links with kind of like Portugal, Spain, um, was also bringing in stuff from the continent. Um, so I think oranges came in at this kind of, Tudor time was when they became widely available. Um, I feel like the more rare fruits and veg were actually more for the rich. So because it was new and it was like, wow, I've got an orange, that's so cool. Whereas now we'd be like, 
that's an orange. Um, so it was definitely like the rich would be the one sampling the newer things first. But necessarily say like Henry VIII, he probably would have been like, oh, what's this new thing? Oh, it's not me, I will get rid. Whereas I think Elizabeth's reign, she probably did eat more of the new exciting things because it was more of a reign where it wasn't just one angry fat man. Um, so, um, and obviously kind of for the richer people, um, feasts and banquets and just like ex insane amount displays of wealth were um, so popular. And I think, so they brought in laws um, in the early kind of 1500s um, called the some Paturi laws. I could be absolutely butchering that word. Um, but it dictated the number of dishes that could be served per meal based on rank. So, for example, if you were a cardinal, you could serve nine dishes. Um, but if you were a duke, a bishop, an earl, that would probably be seven. Um, and then say like the host could serve the number of dishes kind of appropriate to the highest ranking. So, you know, if you had say a cardinal there and a duke there, you could serve the nine because you've got a cardinal there. Um, so it was based on like kind of, or you could do the blanket seven, like basically you, you had more freedom. Whereas if you were the host and you were the cardinal, you'd probably stick to your own thing. Um, so it's all very political. And I don't know how they policed this. <laughs> I guess they just relied on people going, well, you're not a duke, so why are you serving me seven dishes? Um, but you would get a fine if you were found doing this, which I just find really weird. Um, like, it's just very strange. Like, why would they put a law in about that? It reminds me of the TV license that we have now, where it's like, you best pay TV license or we'll fine you, but we're not allowed to enforce it. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> I, just for the record, I do pay my TV license. Um, so to me, it basically sounds like everything we discussed last episode in, in the medieval period, like on steroids, everything seems to have got bigger, more expensive, more exotic. You know, we've got citrus fruits and nuts coming from the Mediterranean who were seeing things like sugar and potatoes and, 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 you know, carrots coming from, from the Americas and the Caribbean. Um, so yeah, it seems to be that, you know, like you, you already said at the start that the wealth, the difference in what people could eat has always been there, but this is the time where um, we really start to see that. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So obviously kind of controlling who ate what, um, was something that they did um, and also kind of I guess the thing that we see is like the elite being using their food as a kind of power play um, so I know we've talked about feasting um, in the medieval period but they took it to like a new level um, in the Tudor periods so um, basically the feast would be the kind of sit down meal and then the banquet uh would kind of be more like 
almost like a dessert kind of level, which would be served anywhere. So normally like servants with their platters holding them. Um, and this was so they could go off and have conversation. Um, so they could talk about things, uh, you know, without people overhearing. Because I guess like potentially in a medieval feast, if you all sat down at the table and then you said something to the person across from you, then it would be like, oh, what was that? <laughs> Whereas this was designed so that they could kind of, it was like finger food, so they could kind of go off and they could, um, you know, discuss politics, discuss whatever it may be. Maybe Henry, just like, who's the next wife, you know, general gossip, um, that kind of thing. Um, so there would be like quite lavish desserts um, and kind of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and they so previously kind of most feasts would be in the great hall and they would stay in the great halls for the whole you know duration of the feast um but they were cold and drafty um as you can imagine like a lot based in castles which aren't exactly the warmest things in the world um so they would have smaller rooms to kind of take this next level of like the social event. Um, so you might have like different rooms that they could go to. So like almost like in the kind of modern nobility where you have like a drawing room, you have like a, um, a whiskey room, a billiards room, that kind of thing. So that's where it kind of all started to become a kind of, I guess a power play, like they were using these meals. Whereas potentially before it might've been a big, group discussion or just like a display of wealth this was like both but really interesting um that they used it to kind of grab a quiet moment with people yeah it's super interesting obviously when you talk about pretty much all of history we it often gets brought up especially medieval and early europe it's like having the ear of the king or the queen and i think this obviously creates more opportunity for that um yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting how, like I said, it seems to be the medieval diet, and you know that the medieval um, you know table manners and and the things that they did with food just on a massive scale. Um, I guess the the thing that we mentioned in the intro, which is the field of the cloth of gold, is is this on an even bigger scale. Uh, how much do you know about the field of cloth of gold? So. I know a tiny bit um just that it was a really lavish it was a battle wasn't it um a battle or, or like a treaty type thing wasn't it um where basically Henry went over to France and it was basically just like who's the richest is it me no it's me oh 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 that was that's how I describe it um I mean, but do, do you yeah. know more yeah, I mean, that's a pretty spot on way to describe it, to be fair. Um, it was everything you said and, and a million times more as well. So um, at the start of Henry VIII's reign, so the very, very early, early part of the 16th century, as always, England and France were at each other's throats. Um, Henry, the, you know, the Renaissance prince version of him, you know, the very tall, muscular, strong, young king um, and his French um, opponent, uh, Francis I, um, eventually came to a peace in 1518. Um, it was drafted by Cardinal uh, Wolsey um, and it was dubbed the Treaty of Universal Peace, 
And it was essentially a peace treaty between pretty much all of Europe, including France, England, the Holy Roman Empire, Empire which I can never say right, um, and then lots of the smaller satellite states in Europe. But to kind of seal the deal, um, a large gathering um, was planned. It took place eventually in, 50, in June of 1520. Um, and yeah, you're spot on. <clears throat> it wasn't just feasts and banquets. It was mock battles, the melee that was a very, very you know, famous during the medieval period as well. We were speaking before this episode about Henry VIII being a both early modern and medieval king. You know, he, he was brought up on an Arthurian legend. His elder brother was called Arthur. He was probably very, very fond of the joust, as we saw, as we see through history. He's famous for his jousting accident. Um, but two things stick out to me from the field of cloth of gold. And, and you know, one of them is very much why, why it's relevant to this episode is the first is obviously the famous wrestling match between Francis and Henry, um, which was probably the really weird thing to watch, just two shirtless, you know, big dudes um, who, you know, were covered in, you know, jewels and finery, just throwing it down. And then Henry got beat and threw his toys out the pram and, and pretty much went home. Um, but the other thing is just the sheer opulence of, of the entire thing. You know, Henry had an entire palace built. Um, he even had stained glass windows uh, put in his big tent palace that he had built. Um, but I think the, the, the best thing about it is the 24-hour access to wine from a giant fountain in the middle of this Glastonbury-esque um, festival that was happening um, near Calais. Um, and I think this is a perfect example of everything you've just been saying um, about the just sheer scale and the ability for, you know, monarchs. Like I know we spoke predominantly about Henry VIII this episode, but monarchs like Henry VIII, who, you know, prided themselves on their ability to put on these insane events. You know, this isn't just dinner for 400 people, which 100 years ago would have been, you know, a serious feat of... Um, uh, you know monarchical power um this this is something on an, on an entirely different scale um yeah i love the field of cloth of gold i think it's um it's just as much as i do not like henry the eighth at all as as people may know or not know i think the field of cloth of gold is probably his his, his shining moment for me because it's just so over the top it's insane yeah i mean in his favor this is before he's fat and grumpy so fed mm. it fair dues to the bloke but um yeah it is like an insane event I feel like it's just so random and I just love that he like had a fountain of wine and that he did a wrestling match like what the hell um but I'm sure that the other kind of kings that also were there like you know his his uh rivals as you'll call them um probably also displayed their insane wealth but I think Henry just probably took it that step further because you know he had a reputation to uphold um and I think he just seems like the type of guy who would have just gone that extra extra mile yeah. to prove how rich he was I mean famously the, the the field of the cloth of gold which has too many ofs and there's um, you know, they they completely flattened the land that it was on. So neither him or Francis were above each other. Um, the whole thing was staged to keep them as equal as humanly possible. Um, but like you said, like they were very, very similar in terms of 
obviously they were similar ages. They were similar in terms of physical build and what they wanted to achieve. So everything that they were displaying was kind of a, a mimic and a, and a one-upmanship of, of the other person. So, yeah, I think it would have been, it's one of those, like when people ask you, like, if you can go back in time and see you on historical event, probably wouldn't be top of my list, but it would be, it would certainly be like top 10 things to have seen. Uh, and obviously it's called the field of the cloth of gold because of the amount of cloth of gold that was, that was used and essentially just wasted because afterwards it was just destroyed um, and, and left. I dread to think the amount of money that was, that was spent um, on, on, on the event, but you know, we see it with festivals these days, like you know, Glastonbury is happening. Is it, is it this coming weekend? Well, as we record this um, and you know, the amount of stuff that will just be left and abandoned is, is obscene, but nothing of the level of a uh, big Henry and his, uh, and his, and his friend, his frenemy, Francis. Yeah. I mean, Glastonbury is definitely happening this weekend. Um, and you're right. But like you said, I think a little like polyester tent is nothing in comparison <laughs> to gold. Um, An entire palace. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, although maybe, you know, the amount of, tents that get left at Glastonbury versus the amount maybe maybe it wouldn't be too far off you know price wise you never know it would it'd be interesting to explore the that we'll these never days know as well yeah we, it's probably similar. <laughs> it probably cost them way more to stage Glastonbury because you know like just modern logistics but yeah. I'm but sure Billy uh, Eilish at the field of cloth of gold <laughs> They had much better. They had a fountain of wine and Henry and Francis wrestling. <laughs> weird. Such a weird dude, Henry. Like, I, I assume he was incredibly self-conscious. Just the amount of physical, like, displays he felt that he needed to, to you know, to share with everyone, essentially. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. I don't think you're much of a fan either, are you? No, I just, I find... We're literally, you know, obsessing over the life of a man who executed two women. What, two women? Two, yeah, two women. Like, mm, I'd rather think about someone else, you know, yeah. personally. Yeah. And we, and we are going to cover the rest of, you know, we're, we're going to go probably into Elizabeth's reign in, in the next um, episode. So we're not just leaving uh, the rest of them out um we, we you know in the next few episodes we're going to move further into the early modern period so i'm sure we will talk more about the insane amounts of sugar that people started to eat but yeah um this is very much a ironically a henry the eighth um based episode considering neither of us wanted to talk about big henners um but when we talk about food and history it's pretty much impossible not to mention him um yeah i think i think it's his if you ask a school child school child if you ask a school children singular isn't it if you ask someone at school uh henry the eighth they're probably going to say two things six wives fat lad like those are the two <laughs> things that come to mind aren't they when you think about henry i mean i dread to think the amount of calories he was he was eating you know especially if it's just red meat as well which he's kind of famous for consuming on a, on a massive level you know like yeah a regular meal made of meat and bread is going to be, you know, several thousand calories anyway. So make that a king on the level of Henry, you know, the man that created this and, you know, made people call him his majesty rather than, you know, his grace, which it was before, you know, I dread to think how much he was eating. Well, I mean, 
so because obviously they have his old uh clothing um I think at Hampton Court or somewhere um they measured his kind of waistline and it expanded from 32 inches at age 30 so that's pretty regular that's like skinny um to 54 inches by the age of 55 uh which is insane I think it equates to something like 25 stone um or more it it might even have been like I read the stats somewhere it might even have been closer to like 30 stone um (laughs) and he got so fat that he one had to use a wheelchair uh because he couldn't walk because as you said he ate a lot of red meat so he got gout and it made him unable to use his legs Uh, um and he basically struggled with weight related uh illness because like you know his diet was so poor he was actually just eating red meat all the time um so he really wasn't doing well um but still he thought yes let's marry an 18 year old and let's marry a 20 whatever five-year-old because you know they're gonna want this you know so he was still deluded at this point um but as we know Catherine uh Pa really did nurse him for the last few years of his life because honestly he was a mess yeah I mean I know it's been pretty much disproved that his the famous jousting accident actually didn't cause him any of his of the perceived uh, mental issues that Henry VIII may or may not have suffered from, but it certainly put him on his back physically. So he was unable to be the man that he once was. You know, he was constantly hunting, fighting, jousting, wrestling. You know, he was doing all these physical activities. So he was kind of counterbalancing his insane diet. Take that away, and he very, very quickly becomes Jabba, Jabba the Hutt. Um, and we're forgetting that you know, average size and height at this time was nowhere near what it is today. I'm assuming having a 32 inch waist in, you know, the early 16th century was, was not what it is today. Like I'm a 30 inch waist now and I'm only like five foot six and a half. So like, I know that a 32 inch waist is like, I could wear Henry's pants with a, with a belt, which I never thought I would be able to say that I could probably wear Henry VIII's armor, but I may have been able to when he was 30, which, Annoyingly, I'm only a year away from, as I just turned 29. But yeah, um, big lad with very, yeah, what, yeah, what a behemoth. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the jousting accident also kind of injured his leg as well. So mm. he couldn't walk as well after that. So I said he had like an extended period where he was kind of, I guess, bed bound or like at least not able to move. And then the further sustained injury that he got to his like legs and back and stuff then did just mean he couldn't <laughs> do anything. Um, but I think Henry was actually relatively tall um, for the time. So I think he was 1.8 metres. I'm just giggling. About what six that foot is two? So he, yeah, he was 6'2", which for the time is actually very tall which is still tall for i would argue very tall now because i don't really know many six foot two people um but um obviously it was less common uh the taller Mm. people um because i think the average height was probably like 
five four five three something like that I mean yes, probably they'd probably average. be they'd be my height <laughs> they'd all be walking around like five foot four um but that would that would be the males um obviously I'm assuming female was um a lot shorter than that mm. um because the average for females is still like five five or something anyway um maybe even shorter so um it's interesting that like so to be 32 inch waist and six foot two he was like a really like probably muscly relatively lean then to go to what did I say 54 inch it he it would have well as we all know it presented very much in his top region <laughs> yeah because he's still in all his in all obviously the most famous paintings of Henry's his calves were very important to him because that was a, a fairly, a fairly common thing in, in the in the period, and, and it's seen later with, you know, James the Sixth and First's favourites was was this you know the size and shape of, of men's calves. So Henry was very keen to to keep that um, on show, but uh, yeah, I think that's a, a good a place as any to to wrap up. Unless you've got anything else you want to add for this episode. No, I think that's great, um, and next time we will be discussing even more interesting food yes. we've got henry out of the way now so <laughs> only only uh less yeah less monstrous people i think i guess in terms of physical size anyway will will be discussed but uh as always thank you very much for listening and we will see you soon if you've enjoyed this episode of the past and present podcast for more, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Past and Present Media and at Twitter on Past Present M. Thank you.